you can still find something purposeful and meaningful and, and, and still feel like you're, uh, what is it called? Um, I'm trying to think it slipped my head. Um, uh, communicate ourselves. Yeah. It's really, it's how we communicate ourselves and express ourselves. That's what I'm trying to say is express ourselves. Like, Do you often wonder whether there's more to life than your nine to five job? Do you dream about having a life that has no boundaries where you can decide what to do and where to do it? And does the thought of how to get that life maybe overwhelm you just a little bit? Then this is the podcast for you. Join me as I uncover how to get that freedom and live a life that needs no retirement plan. I'll be scouring the internet and chatting with people from all walks of life who are out there living life to the max instead of punching a time card. I'm Jackie Doucette, and this is Beyond Retirement. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Retirement. Today, I'm really happy to be joined by Kirby Ingalls. He's got uh, 24 years of experience in leadership and human capital consulting. He's a leadership coach for high potential, busy corporate managers. He has a big picture, highly creative problem solving approach and an open and enthusiastic style that results in his clients becoming effective, inspiring and successful leaders. He hosts the True Success Podcast Show, and he's a U.S. Army combat vet. In his spare time, he advocates for fatherless boys and men, and he raises awareness through running ultra marathons, memorializing those heroes who have lost their lives to PTSD. He's been coaching professionally for six years now, and he brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to every situation. Kirby, welcome to Beyond Retirement. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Um, my first question is a little bit long-winded. Um, many people have asked me over the last couple of years how someone becomes a leadership coach, you know, how they determine or decide that uh, they've got what it takes to teach someone else how to do something. I mean, in sports, it can be quite clear. Um, many years of playing a sport or learning about a sport, there are good ways to become a coach in a sport, but for leadership and management, it, it's their business. It's kind of different. Um, you were in the military, uh, as was I and many of my listeners. Some of us had leadership roles, uh, but it never really culminated in the idea of becoming a leadership coach. So what drew you to decide to do that? It's, that's a great question. And <clears throat> I happen to be at a uh, kind of a it was a lot more like a job awareness thing when I was in the United States Army Steel Guard. Um, that's in Washington, D.C. They're commonly um, uh, known for uh, the two men and the soldier, the U.S. Army drill team, um, the presidential sloop battery. So all those services that support the Arlington Cemetery and the president of the United States, um, I was in that organization. And, uh, you know, the former, uh, he was a former Sergeant Major at the Army at the time. Um, he had come. Uh, Jack Tilly, he had come to the, the organization. He was giving a presentation. He brought all the guys that he worked with from his company that he had built after the Army. And he was, it was a consulting company. Um, and what they were doing at the time was they were going through all the education systems throughout the military. And they were helping another school go through and uh, evaluate the system. Um, he must have known something while he was in the Army because he went out and got a built a company and they did came back in to help do that. And what they were doing is just evaluating it for college credit, right? They were just trying to help soldiers out, you know, get better, more credit um, for the time and the service that they did. And basically it uh, resulted to a point to where 
if uh, you had a certain level of education, all you had to do was take seven college credits and you could get a, like a bachelor's degree. And so they did that. And so it was, is a great service. It was a great thing that they did. It was very powerful for people in service. But the one thing he said there, right? Cause he was talking about career transition and retirement and services and everything else. Cause he's the man who spent over 30 years in the military. He said, the day that you join the army is the day that you start thinking about getting out. <laughs> he's like, because he goes, because you, whether you serve four years, 20 years or 30 years, every decision that you make, should be geared towards getting out. And I, he goes, I know what you're going to do. You're going to focus on promotion. You're going to focus on all these things and get there as fast as you can. And he goes, that's great. He goes, do that. But every decision you make, make sure it's geared towards your life after the army. And I was like, that was that, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I was about 16 years in at the time. And I was considering getting out at that moment. Um, I wasn't for sure yet. Uh, there's an option I could take out to get out before I hit 20. Um, and I was just really thinking hard about it. And I said, if I don't do that, what am I going to do when I do hit 20 years? And so I was actually in a consulting position at the time. Um, I was working for this company commander. I used to be an HR guy for years before that. And I sat there and I'm like, man, I do not want to go in the HR world. And I looked across the water because, um, uh, the, the rivers there, and the Potomac River's there, and I'm like, my office is nearby, and, you know, every day I run by the Arlington Cemetery and the Potomac and stuff, and I'm looking across the river, and I'm thinking, do I really want to play the rat race at the Pentagon? Do I really want to go in that building and just, it's like being on New York City. You just don't know who's passing you by. You're bumping elbows. You don't know anybody. You just, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy in that place. And um, so many rooms, so many buildings. I mean, thousands of people that work there every day. And I'm like, man, I says, I don't really want to climb the ladder. I don't really want a core office. I don't want none of that. And uh, I just I just had to do some soul searching. And I, what I, I say, I triangulate. So I took all the things that I really loved in my life, you know, helping people. What was the part about HR I loved? And that was problem solving, helping people find solutions to their problems. Instead of telling people no, I wanted to help people find a solution to a problem. Um, you know, it was just stuff like that. And I loved the position. I loved the consulting position that I was in at the time. And so I started looking at all those things and then I was like, you know, I started doing the research and I was really thinking about doing counseling. And so I started a master's in counseling at Liberty university. And, uh, at the point at when I f was looking at the electives, trying to decide this thing called coaching came up and I was like, let me try life coaching. And I did life coaching 101. I did life coaching 102 and I really started to fall in love with it. Then I had leadership and health and wellness coaching. So I took those classes and from that point on I was just like it was gone I was it was over with so I, I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do because I mean I get to work with people one-on-one -on -one individually get to help them do some problem solving and do some brainstorming and help them achieve success and that's what we always did while you're in the military whether I mean no matter where you're at you always did that one way or the other whether you're a sergeant or a first sergeant or an officer you sat there and consistently worked with people to overcome challenges. And in the military, you don't just work with um, just professional challenges. You also work with people's personal challenges, finances, domestic issues, you know, everything, you know, childcare problems. You're helping them with their whole life, not necessarily just the job. So. Beautiful. That's a... That's an amazing answer. I really like that. Thank you. <laughs> and it obviously was something that, you know, was deeply ingrained in you right at the start. It's something that you've carried through from forever. Yeah. I, I just, just, 
Yeah. Discovered it over 16 years. I discovered it and figured it out. I mean, and then even then uh, I didn't focus mostly on leadership coaching. I did a bunch of other stuff before that, you know, and I just followed the breadcrumbs in the path. And I just, you know, as I kept pivoting or shifting as we call it, and then I finally hit leadership coaching and um, now I'm working with corporate managers and uh, fortune 500 companies, you know, first time managers, they just don't know how to be managers. And, you know, my last, you know, station in the military was a first sergeant. And so who was I helping? I was helping those young leaders figure out leadership for the very first time. And I was like, man, this is a great place because it's the same problems. It's not, you know, it's the same challenges of communication, you know, problem solving, it's uh, casting a vision, you know, it's all these things. And, um, and how do I, you know, how do I, you know, plan my career moving outwards? And so I did a lot of career development help with that, you know, how to advocate for yourself, how to brand yourself, market yourself inside of an organization. So I was like, I love this. So you mentioned, you say you help um, busy corporate managers now when you're coaching them and they're usually the younger ones that are just coming up, do, uh, do you ever coach them on ways to get mm-hmm. out of that high stress life that they're living? Or are you always coaching them how to do that life better? Yeah, I do. Um, mostly the ones I am working with um, are, are the directors and the VPs at that point. So <clears throat> a lot of times the VPs I work with, they're looking to hit the C-suite level so they can retire. Um, they're like, I, they have a plan. They're like five years. I want to be a C-suite level executive. I only want to do it for a couple years and I want to retire. And so <clears throat> they're like, I'm 50 years old. I don't have much time left. I need to do this. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, but they're all, they said they're only, I'm only like 50 years old. You know, I only got five more, you know, I need to get there in five years. I want to do it for a couple years, you know, or they have some kind of plan like that in mind. You know, um, I have a couple gentlemen that I work with that are a little bit older now. And then I have some directors and they're like, I just don't like this company. I've been working for this guy, the CEO twice now in my career. This is the second company I work with him during. Um, and I think I just, I think I could do it better. I want to get out of this industry and I want to start my own company. And it's like, so you get a lot of that, you know, you know, I talk about entrepreneurship. I talk about entrepreneurship. We just find, I'm, I help them with their career path, their career directory, and where they want to go. And sometimes that changes. I've had one guy that wanted to do that sort of business with his brother. And then he shifted back and decided that they wanted to have a baby. And so now he's staying with the company. We went down the pros and cons and he decided that, Hey, right now I want security and I need to do this. So we're like, okay. Yep. That's his choice, you know, and he decided what values he liked, you know, what was most important to him and taking that risk and start having a startup wasn't where he wanted to go because I think it's like 80% of startups fail. So uh, he was just not. And so then I threw the other stat at him and I says the only 2% of the people in the corporate world have somebody advocating at the executive level. And he's like, yeah, we got to figure that out. And I'm like, yeah, let's figure that out. <laughs> so, so then, um, my next question kind of related to what you were just saying. If you've got mm-hmm. somebody that you've been coaching, um, he's in this, you know, action packed kind of environment all the time. He's decided that he wants to move out and do something else, have his own business or retire. Mm-hmm. How do you prepare them for um, a life where they don't feel like their whole reason for being is gone because they've walked away from this, you know, big, important, stressful life into something else. Yeah. It's the same way at the military too. I noticed it's the same, it's the same feeling because you spend your entire time doing this one job. And a lot of the folks that I'm working with now, they've been loyal to the company. So 
I mean, I'm just starting to work with millennials who are pulling into the manager position, which is fun because then you see the old guard, right? Who have been millennials have jumped jobs three or four or five, maybe five times at this point in their career because they jump from one position to the next. But everybody else, the old guard has been with the company for 30 years, 20 years, you know, and they've, they've been committed and loyal to that company. It's just a different way of looking at things and moving up the ladder in this, you know, between the two different generations. And and they've just, their identity is like buried into this company. And, this, and that's why it's so hard for some people to leave too sometimes. It's because they've spent so much time. They've worked so much hard. They've, they've, they've built this thing from the ground up, you know. And it's hard for them to walk away. <clears throat> and it's that transition process, that same transition process from the military. So I always encourage them to find a way to still be a part of the organization, to still be a part of those people's lives. Um, and you can do that through a lot of different ways. Maybe there's, you know, uh, for me in the military, uh, and, I, and I tell a lot of my folks too, is why I felt very comfortable is because I had, before I had left, I started getting involved in things that meant something to me. And I started to build that. Um, and so one of the first things that I did was, is as a coach, I worked with quarter point, not quarter point, but I'm sorry, um, the Rosalind Carter Institute of Caregiving. And what I was doing was I was doing problem solving coaching with military spouses who were um, working with their spouse who had come back from the war a little bit different than before. Uh, and they couldn't, they couldn't do something for themselves anymore at this point. Um, they could, most of them were functioning and well, but there was something a part of their day that they couldn't do for themselves anymore. And so I, and basically a military spouse is already a caregiver they're caring for their loved one and their children. And most of them had young children, so they didn't have uh, time to take care of themselves. And we know if you don't take care of yourselves, you can't take care of anybody right. else. And so what was happening was, is they were starting to develop the same signs and symptoms of PTSD, which we call secondary PTSD that the service member had or the retired service member. And, uh, and so what our job was is to go in and problem solve and help them find out how to get that time back so that they could refresh, you know, get back to who they were, um, still have an identity, um, an individual, identity, you know, maybe it's running, maybe it's walking, maybe it's reading, you know, give them something for themselves so they can kind of reset, hit that reset yeah. button so that they could take the best care of those people they love. And, um, and I, I, I understand like the sandwich generation and all the other stuff that's, you know, I, I can, I understand what these caregivers go through today. It was a, a lightning experience, but I got involved in something that meant something to me. So I was like, I gave 24 years of service. The best thing I could do is give some time back to the military spouses who supported me. And I felt purpose and I felt passion in that. Um, another one was the court appointed special advocate. So I went, I was a court appointed special advocate for a few years. And I was working with fatherless boys because I grew up without a father. And so um, basically a, an advocate goes through a couple class or well, it's like two days worth of classes or two weeks if you take it one night a week. But um, you go through these classes, you learn about childhood development, some other things, but, and you learn how to write court reports. And then, so what you do is you, you go visit a child for about 10 hours a month. Go, go play a game, go shoot some baskets, you know, whatever it was. And what I did was I worked with the older boys um, that were in high school and junior high because they really didn't have advocates. Most volunteers wanted to go volunteer for the babies, but the boys didn't have anybody. And so I didn't have anybody growing up. And it, that tugged on my heartstrings when I found out about this, you know, and I was like, I, somebody, these boys need somebody in their lives, a mentor, you know? And so 
and so I went and worked with them um, 10 hours a week or not a week, uh, 10 hours a month for a couple of years and worked with a couple of different kids and I would write a court report and then I would show up to court um, and the judge would ask me, he would talk to the attorneys, you know, there's the par- attorney for the parents or attorneys for the state. And not all these kids were like in, in trouble. You know, there's just something that happened that they were removed from the home. Uh, and not all the kids' parents were in trouble. Um, I had a set of kids that worked with one time their mom had committed suicide and um, their grandparents were raising them, but the kids had gone through so much trauma that they were just bouncing off the walls and the grandparents couldn't handle them. Um, they were getting into a lot of trouble. And so they just needed some help. And so the court had to pull them out. And so I would advocate, I would tell the judge, Hey, this is what's going on. Hey, Johnny needs a backpack this month. He doesn't have one. Um, I, I recommend that the parents or the grandparents or the parents go to um, parenting classes. I family therapy together. I recommend, you know, and the judge would listen to the volunteer because the volunteer's not getting paid. Right. The volunteer cares about the child. I'm the eyes, ears and conscience of the child for the judge and I can communicate. Um, because the state's going to fight for what the state wants because they have an agenda and the parents are going to fight for the parents want because they have an agenda. And you're the person in the middle that has to do what's in the best interest of the child. And I'm as a military guy, I've always felt like our youth is the future of our world. And so I've felt like pouring into that. So So it's just a couple examples of transition things that I would start to get involved in before, you know, like retirement or any type of transition because you can still, find something purposeful and meaningful and, and, and still feel like you're, uh, what is it called? Um, I'm trying to think it slipped my head. Um, uh, communicate ourselves. Yeah. It's really, it's how we communicate ourselves and express ourselves. That's what I'm trying to say is express ourselves. I couldn't think of the word express, but it's express ourselves. And helps you feel like you're, you're making an impact. You're doing something rather than just yeah. sort of, you know, watching life go yeah. by. So, do you uh, do you have anything uh, special going on? Any any products? Anything that uh, you'd like to talk about? Uh, I've got a few things out there right now. Um, the big one I have that I worked on for for quite a few years is uh, I, I, I built, prepared a special report, um, and that's uh, on leadership, masculinity, and character strengths. So um, I do work mostly with men. I do have quite a few women on the roster that I work with, but the uh, majority of them are men. Uh, it's just, I, again, I, I told you about the story about working with the fatherless yep. boys and stuff like that. So um, it's, it's something that really is important to me. Um, and, you know, helping these young men uh, who, a lot of them have grown up without fathers. Uh, 33% of them across the country have not, you know, had a father figure in their lifetime. Um, and so that's a, that's a, pretty big statistic. Um, and by the time you get to their age, they're looking for that mentorship that, you know, and so for me, masculinity is almost level of maturity. Um, and you just become very comfortable, um, and in your own identity, um, and who you are as as a man. And so I talk about that as, as leadership, because I think it's important that we need more leaders for young men and boys growing up in our world today. And I feel like there's a gap. So I do talk about it in that special report, but I talk about it from an aspect of coming from a strength based approach. And that's relying on your character strengths. Now these aren't weaknesses. This isn't anything to do with, you know, toxic masculinity. It's just, it's coming from a place of values and very principle centered. Um, and you know, like mine is level of learning. So everything that I do, I look at it from a, a aspect of level of learning. So 
if I want to um, start a newsletter, the best way for me to do that is to get it, you know, to tie that into my level of learning and say, you know what, you know, this would be great because not only can I learn about the newsletter process, but as I go, I can learn about the open rates and the delivery and, um, and then I can also be learning something new as I write this new newsletter every month, you know? And, and so I look at that aspect of my strengths and then I tie it into my strength. Uh, for some people it could be, you know, spirituality, you know, and how do you tie what you're doing into spirituality? So I always take that approach. Um, and that's what the strength based approach is, is, is tying in whatever you're doing, right? Leadership into your uh, strengths. And that way, you know, you're the best version of yourself comes out, right? I don't like to focus on what's wrong with people. I like to focus on what's right with people. Cause I think that's like, I can't remember what the stat is. It's like 80 to 90% of our thoughts are negative and the world around us is, can be very negative a lot. And so why focus on the negative? I want to focus on what's right with people and spotlight that and highlight that and encourage people to focus on that. So I like that. And it's something that a lot of people don't really realize in the way that they're mm. thinking about things and the way that they're acting all the time. And, and something that I've noticed a lot is that people are way more negative about themselves than they are about someone else. They would never say to anyone else the mm. things that they say to themselves. And if they start to realize that and turn it around and, and treat themselves maybe as a separate person once in a while, all those, all those strengths would come out and you'd see a whole lot more development in a, in a person, I think. Yeah, definitely. So how would, uh, how would somebody get in touch with you if they wanted to? I, I realize you do uh, corporate managers, probably not uh, Joe on the street, but mm -hmm. you know, someone might want to ask you some questions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I generally, I mean, it just depends on what they have going on um, right now. Like uh I usually work with corporate managers, but I'm working with actually two gentlemen right now that are trying to build courses. So I love learning. I love being involved and I'm going through the process myself. So um, one of them is actually a teacher. And, uh, and so he's trying to impact the lives of teachers in other classrooms. So I was like, Perfect. that's right. My wheelhouse. Yeah. I love it. So I, and so I corporate managers doesn't define me. It's just where my focus okay. is at. Um, but yeah, people can get a hold of me. Um, they can go to Kirby And, uh, if you want to download the, um, uh, report that I had mentioned earlier, that would be bit.ly forward slash leadership underscore coaching. Okay. And I'll share the link with you guys and, uh, you can find that there and then as well. Um, uh, and email me. So it would be Kirby at Kirby com. So I try to keep it as yep. simple as possible. I'll make sure all of that goes into the show notes so that they can find it. But, uh, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time today to uh, come and tell us a little bit more about uh, the way that you do your coaching. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a pleasure on being here on the uh, Beyond Retirement Podcast. Great. And that's our show for this week. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Beyond Retirement. I'm your host, Jackie Doucette. If you liked what you heard, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts, review the show, and leave me a rating. It helps me move up in the ranks and reach more people. If you've got any questions or comments, drop by my website, www.beyondretirement.ca, and leave me a short message. Thanks again for listening, and we'll chat again next week.